0: Welcome to Stories of Hope, I'm Christine Hotchkiss. I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprints that put us on the paths and the journeys of our lives, some find purpose. Every story can help, heal, inspire, educate, and who couldn't use some hope is to give hope. Today, my guest is Donna Shea. Well, now today is gonna be a little heavy, but it's gonna bring you right up to great hope and spirits. Donna will be sharing her journey of loss and grief concerning her daughter, Teresa. Donna's desire is to share both her and her daughter's journey and what they went through that allowed her to find hope and new beginnings after her daughter fought a six-year battle being diagnosed with T-cell lymphoma at just the age of 14 years young. Please help me welcome my guest this morning, Donna Shea. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, We share a similar journey of loss. Some people will say, oh, I can't imagine. That's got to be the hardest thing ever. And my response to everybody is, your loved one is your loved one. It depends on the relationship you had. It doesn't have to be a child. But for us, it's a child because a lot of people cannot imagine not having their child. And um, this is our new norm, right?
1: It absolutely is. And even that term new norm is something to encompass and have to get used to because we wouldn't choose it.
0: Uh, no, I would not have chose it, but then again, <laughs> it wouldn't be where we're at today, being able to help other people, um, however it is that we're meant to do that. Tell me a little bit about Teresa. Oh, Teresa.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. When anybody, when anybody is asked about Teresa, they mention her smile, her beauty, and her kindness. She was genuinely kind. And, you know, of course, a mother can say that, but anybody that knew her um, genuine kindness and just her beautiful smile and her very, very sweet, inclusive demeanor. She never met anybody that she didn't include Mm -hmm. in her, in her space and welcome them to just have a conversation, to cheer them up, to encourage them. She was a very inclusive person Mm -hmm. and just, just radiant. She just glowed. And I say that as her mom, but even in the book, you can read testimony of friends, uh, her boyfriend, family members. It, it all comes back to Teresa literally was the glue that held everybody together.
0: She, I guess I don't even know where to begin. How did you eight fourteen? I remember when I was 14, I was roller skating. So what happened? So, um, you know, she grew up in my
1: mom's home because I had a different path in her early childhood. She was developing scabs on her skin, on her torso, actually, right in the front of her stomach. And my mom's my mom was like, you know, Teresa has a scab and it just won't go away. I think we should take her to the dermatologist. And that process in itself was, oh, you know, maybe she, you know, has some sort of allergic reaction. Like we didn't, we didn't know. And, got a couple opinions and then they did a couple biopsies started sending her biopsies all over the place and they just kept climbing up the ladder because it was questionable one dermatologist visit ended in I think you guys should go to the um not the oncology department just yet but go see the dermatologist at Loma Linda University for children and from that appointment after looking at her records and looking at the biopsies, they then said, we're going to have you go sit in the children's oncology department. And so it was my mom, my sister, myself, Teresa, the four of us girls. And we just sat in the oncology department for the rest of the day. And we waited for the children's oncologist. Um, He called us back and he explained, That we may be looking at a very rare form of blood cancer, possibly. Mm -hmm. And he started sending her for a series of PET scans and testing. She was admitted to the hospital shortly after and had a bone marrow um, extraction so they could test her bone marrow shortly after that. She was admitted to the hospital and had her tonsils and adenoids out so they could test that for cancer. It just, this road started and... Funny enough, I can say that seven years later, but funny enough, those tests were coming back as showing no cancer internally. Hmm. What we were dealing with was a very rare form of blood cancer that caused her to have lesions on her skin level in the lymph nodes just under the skin. And over a course of years, she would get these open wounds and in the beginning, they would be small, scab over, and go away. Small, scab over, go away. As time went on, they would become larger. They would stay longer. They would be more open. Okay. And the point came where they were just almost unbearable to look at, um, sometimes down to the bone. And this same children's oncologist who just became – like a father to her almost, I like to say, because he just guided her in so much living. Um, He really went to bat for us and he found a chemo treatment out of a testing center in Texas. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to get that treatment, I had to take on a second insurance Mm -hmm. um, to cover that. I was working full time. I had a good job. I had good insurance, but it wasn't going to be enough to cover this treatment and so I, I'm proudly like to say that Teresa was the first child to get this particular tr- chemo treatment at Loma Linda Children's um, Oncology Chemo Room. So they brought the trial in for her. And so she was the first one to have that treatment for this cancer. And it did put her into remission in 2012. She had that um, treatment and it was great. It did a great job. She went into remission. And she actually had graduated high school by this time. And so she moved down to my sister's in Oceanside to just start fresh and go stay with my sister, start junior college, transferred her job over there to have a clean slate. Not even a year later, it just all started coming back. So we we're like, okay, okay, we have this, you know, we know what to do. We know what works. We're not worried. Everything's still uh, restrained to the skin, even though it doesn't look good. And she has to deal with this scarring. And sometimes it's just can't even put on clothes because it's so horrible. Oh. But with this, she was also getting physically ill when it came back. Mm-hmm. And so that was the difference. At this point in time, I had um, chosen to take another job. I chose to walk out of retail management after a number of years and take a job in ministry full-time. Assuming when my medical benefits kicked in after the waiting period, we'd just get right back into where we were. Really not even questioning it. Mm -hmm. Um, After my probation period of work, my Medical benefits did pop up and, um, I only had really one choice and it wasn't the same type of provider that I had had previously. Mm -hmm. So now that Teresa was 18, um, we were going to move her medical care and she was going to go into an adult treatment at a whole nother medical facility. And that just, it was challenging to say the least. Um, Whew, I'm even emotional because that, okay. that was one one of the hardest, that was one of the hardest things that we had to endure because she was just in the blink of an eye so sick. And that had been nothing that we had dealt with previously. And this um, is when
0: this the treatment that, excuse me, the diagnosis was now something else, which I'd mentioned in the beginning of the introduction. Yeah, and
1: we hadn't received that just yet, oh. but we knew something was different. Yeah. And so when we switched to the, med- to the other medical provider, we had to start over because it was just so hard transferring records because you had to go to the hospital. You had to, like, there's all of these different areas that you had to pull records from and labs and tests and surgeries. So while trying to do that and now having an 18-year-old who's sick And I'm, as her mom, trying to go get all the paperwork and then having to sign waiver after waiver after waiver that I can now speak for her on her behalf. And I can now request these letters, but she's over here sick. So getting denied most of the time because she had a birthday and now I can't ask. It was time consuming, to say the
0: least. I've been through a lot of hoops. trying to be her
1: voice and having doors shut on you because she's now of a certain age where she needs to be her own voice, but now way too sick to be her own voice. And that was, that was what took most of our, our time. And so in the meantime, the new medical provider was sending her for the test, doing blood work, having her go see specialists. I mean, everything from the beginning and Looking back now, it, it's I have to again use the term I have to laugh because I remember the day I got the phone the phone call from the new medical provider just to tell me they had confirmed that she did have what we already told them she already had, and that in itself took two months just just to do that. They sent us to. Um, LA to go talk about a possible bone marrow transplant. And we were told in that moment that she wasn't sick enough for one. She has masses all over her body now, lumps in under her arms, in her breasts. She is now just carrying a fever of 103 constantly, constantly dizzy, constantly throwing up, constantly exhausted. I mean, her body is just taking a made major turn for the worst and it was almost like what what do we do
0: so what did you end up doing because so what happened was we had
1: one doctor's visit and he took a look at her and he said okay I'm going to send you for one more PET scan I need to see what's going on inside right. and in my book I write about this we we drove from where we live to Himit. To the other city where the pet scan was going to take place and in that ride she had her her little sweater on and her little throw-up bucket and she was just exhausted and her and i had a balance system you know either i'm very calm and she's very frazzled or she's very calm and i'm very frazzled and we just balanced it that way Mm -hmm. and in the silence of the car driving over to get that last pet scan she just she just said mom This is gonna be the one that tells us everything we never wanted to see. And I said, I know, I know. And so we drove in silence. She did the PET scan, brought her home. She was exhausted. She was not feeling by any means, any type of well. Mm -hmm. I had been taking care of her. We were both at our wits' end. I said, Teresa, you need to go to the emergency room. And she's like, why? They why? They're not, we just have to wait for my test results. There's nothing they can do for me. I'm not driving all the way over there. I'm over it. I'm done. I'm and she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. But as a mom, you're like, you can't be this sick. Like, you just can't be this sick. You have like, what can we do? And she's like, I'm done. If and I said and I had tickets to a 49ers Chargers preseason game in San Diego, Um, and I was had planned to go, and I was arguing with her a little bit. She's just like, "Mom, go to your football game." And I was like, "Okay, I will." And I left, and me and my friend took off to San Diego because we just we were just I was at my limit. She was exhausted. I was exhausted. I felt helpless.
0: She wanted you to have, still keep doing what you should be doing and not be there by her, but I understand that. I'm stubborn that way, too. She had my sister drive up from Oceanside, and uh,
1: her friend drove her to the hospital in Riverside, and um, they met there because she just couldn't hang anymore. And my sister called me, and she said, I'm here in the emergency room with Teresa, and the head of oncology is here. And even though her doctor's still on vacation, She read Teresa's results, and she now has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it is protruding all through her body. The chemo, she had, um, actually, she had started chemo at this point. She had started a couple rounds of regular chemo, and um, the chemo that they had put her on was developing cancer in her body. It was caused 50 masses to develop on her lungs. It was having the opposite. so I left that point out. They did in the meantime start her on a chemo because she actually had been in the hospital in and out so much in the emergency room that her oncologist sent her for the um, put her, started her on a chemo, sent her for the PET scan to see what was going on and then it came back that the cancer is not going anywhere it's actually multiplying. Um, so that's kind of how that happened in that order. Um, so my sister did call me. Oh, I think I got that wrong. She called me and said, Teresa has non Hopkins. Oh, and they're going to start her on chop. That's what happened.
0: Sorry. My brain got a little out of order. <laughs> so you, yes. went, you went to the game and I yes. don't want to cut you short. I don't want us to lose. No, you're out. fine. You're
1: fine. So we went to the game. I got the phone call that Teresa now has non Hopkins lymphoma. And she had masses all under her arms and in her breasts and in her body. That was the point they decided to start her on the standard chemo for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was CHOP. In exactly three months from that day was the day my daughter took her last breath. So that chemo that they started her on, we found out after the third round, that it was just developing more and more and more, more masses in her body. And she ended up back in the emergency room on November 2nd, 2013. Um, And then I wrote the book called A Mother's View from the ICU. And that talks about our 26 day journey in the ICU. That's a powerful
0: title. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, I wrote that book, A Mother's View from the ICU, because in that story, is where I found strength, where I saw miracles happen, where I um, was brought to my knees in the little apartment that they let us stay in, and um, was asked to um, was asked to let her go to the Lord in prayer time. Um, a lot happened in there, and I, I know that we have to be aware of our time here, but in that that journey, that's my heart, and I decided to write the book seven years later because I wanted to launch it on her seven-year anniversary of passing, and in writing that book, so much more happened at the hospital, more than I could even sit here and, and tell you about, but um, she was in the hospital for about two and a half weeks. And they let us know that she was not going to make it because the chemo had formed so so many masses in her body. And she actually coded one night. The lung specialist said to me, can we put her on the respirator tonight to give her lungs some reprieve, to give her a break? And they had actually at this point, Brought in the original chemo that she started in 2012 to try to reverse some of the effects. Um, The lung specialist asked me, can we put her on the ventilator tonight to give her lungs some reprieve so we can maybe start a progression of trying to turn something around, but she needs a break. She cannot breathe. And I said, let's just wait until tomorrow. I think she's had you know some progress. She's showing signs of being more coherent. I think she's having some panic attacks about being here because she's starting to realize it a little bit more that she's actually in the hospital, um, because she had been really in and out of coherency the first couple weeks. And so I said, "Can we please wait? Can we can we reassess this tomorrow?" And I went home, and her boyfriend stayed with her because he stayed with her every night. And they called me at three in the morning that my daughter was coding. Um so I drove back to the hospital not knowing what I was going to walk into. And the story of the code it written by Teresa's boyfriend
0: is a story that you have to read. It is Where can is, it Is it's in, it's it's in, in my, book. my book. It's in your book. Where can it be found because I'm running on time and I want to make sure Um my finished. book is available on
1: Amazon okay. and it's called A Mother's View from the ICU and it is written it is my view from the ICU, and there is stories written from her boyfriend, her best friends, and my family of how we all made the twenty-six day journey of living in this ICU and watching, ultimately, the Lord take Teresa home.
0: So, real briefly, I have a few things I want to. One, I want to mention because we're doing this interview via Zoom, um, I can see you. Our listeners cannot. There was a couple of times, and I believe in this, I don't know if you do, excuse me. <clears throat> Your screen, when you talked about her, it was like somebody walked in front of it. There was like a, like a, a tramp. The screen was darker as if, so I, mean, I don't know how to explain it. I know you know what I mean. I do. Anyone who's lost a loved one and believes in that afterlife, you know it. And I just saw it. I saw it a couple of times on the screen where you could, there was like a dim. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so I wanted to share that with you. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing Teresa and her journey with us. And I know that you also, um, your job is working for the Salvation Army, that you do ministry there. So you want to briefly tell me and our listeners what you do there as is, is, uh, helping others with grief? Sure, I do. So currently my job, I'm a case
1: manager for families in need in our local area. And we do a program called Pathway of Hope. And in that, we are able to walk alongside families and help them reach small attainable goals to get on a pathway of sustainability, stability, and hope. And in that, I get to do some grief counseling. I also do drug recovery counseling. Um, I have done grief share for the last handful of years. And I've also been trained by hospice to do um, children's bereavement. And so I've also been able to minister to children who have suffered loss in that as well. So I've really been able to take my journey and just pour hope in the lives of others. My, my prayer is for the moms who really need, need to know what grief is, how to process it and what to do not to be stuck in it. And I, I share all that as well in my book, but there's a lot of mom notes there with good nuggets, good nuggets, moms. You, you need to read that.
0: You need to have some hope. <laughs> And my final question, since you have said my favorite word a multiple of times, and that's the word hope, what message would you like to leave our listeners based on your journey, or perhaps that's 26 days that you had with your daughter in a time that I think most of us take for granted what every day means when we wake up? Oh, just that I'll leave these words.
1: We're, when we're in fresh grief, is when we feel most alone. And we, we rage inside of ourselves that no one understands what we went through. But I have this to say, and this was told to me, no, nobody does. And nobody can and nobody will. But there is one who wrote a story. And, and you are smack dab in the middle of it. And that story was written and played out according to the will and purpose of what I believe is God's story in our life. And just understanding that has helped me grasp so much that when I get angry, when I feel mad that people don't get it, when I am upset at somebody else's expectations on my life, I have to just stop and tell myself, why am I angry at somebody who just doesn't understand what's going on inside of me? I was there. My daughter was there. And the Lord was there. And his story was being written out. And I believe that to the fullest. And I'll I'll end with this. My husband said it to me just on January 18th, just a few weeks ago on Teresa's, what would have been her 28th birthday? And I said, where would she be now? What would she be doing? Would she be married? Would she have kids? I don't know what her life would be. And my husband said, her story was never written that far. Agree. Her story was ordained and written, and when her last breath was taken, that's where the story of this earth ended. Right.
0: You're not missing anything that was ever meant for her. That I have to admit was the long, that was the hardest for me too. Yeah. That I can but, relate to that, and I'm hoping that my listeners understand that too. And you know? and I was able to
1: receive that because we do have a first and a last breath. And those are already written. And what we do in the meantime is completely up to us. And so how can I be mad at any situation when her story never did go past her last breath? And that's okay. So she's not missing it. She's not missing. There was never a husband written for her or a baby written for her or a wedding or a really good job or, you know, any of these adventures. Because now she's in the place where she's going to be full and whole. Forever. She got there first.
0: Absolutely agree with you. Thank you, Donna. That was very powerful. And I 100% can relate to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. And and I thank Teresa for being a part of this energy that we had. (laughs) For sure. For sure. To my listeners, thank you again for listening in to yet another amazing story of hope and no not every story has a happy ending but every story like Donna said has a beginning and an end but it also has new beginnings if you have a story you want to share or know someone who has a story or an organization in your community that you feel needs to be heard please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com until next time everyone I wish you well and you take care